Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode. Today is September 23rd. Uh, this was recorded a bit earlier. September 10th. I'm looking yeah. at it right now. So a uh, really interesting company, something unique, uh, small. It's called Thrive Holdings uh, and first time guest, Jeff. Uh, and we talked to him after the interview and it's it's sort of just a whole universe of securities that we haven't paid that much attention to. So. Yeah, if you're interested in the small cap, micro cap land, this is kind of a good intro. You may not be comfortable with investing in these type of things. And obviously we're not telling you to invest in this, just kind of just information for yourself. But this can be a good introduction. I know some people don't like to dabble there, but if you do, this it, would be a perfect episode for you. Yeah, and it really helps uh, kind of make clear the opportunity that's in here and sort of the inefficiencies that are involved in some of these smaller companies. Uh, and so just really interesting interview all in all. But before we get to the interview, I want to talk about our sponsor, uh, our friends at Quarter. Used Quarter yesterday. I'm trying to become a DAU. Uh, don't know if I'll make it, but... Help for their pitch decks, their future pitch decks. Yeah. So hopefully I can help with any... What did you, you listen to? Thrive? No, Upwork. Oh, right. Okay. Which, uh, yeah, if you're listening to this, we would have talked about it, I think, prior to this uh, on yep. one of our not so deep dive episodes. And it's always fun. I didn't even have to skip to the QA. Sometimes I like the prepared remarks. Uh, but if they're short enough, if they're yeah. short enough. It, it's, it's, it's a really good app. So for anyone that's unfamiliar, it's basically an investor relations app that uh, combines all the different companies' investor relations pages. You can get their conference calls, presentations, transcripts, uh, look up whatever company you want. They have tons. Uh, it's 100% free. You can download it on iOS and Android. Uh, you can add a little watch list, have your favorite companies. So go ahead, check them out on Twitter at quarter underscore app. It's Q-U-A-R-T-R underscore app. Now, uh, do you have any highlights from the interview before we get into it? Yeah. So the best part would be probably explaining the details of why a small business would want to use the Thrive platform. If you're on the investor relations page or reading any of their documents, you can be a bit confused on what exactly Thrive is. Uh, and Jeff explained that great. So that can clear that up. And then you know we, you learn the difference between how there's two businesses. There's the dying business generating cash and they're reinvesting it into this new one. That's supposed to be the SaaS business. Um, yeah, overall, great interview. Yep, without further ado, here it is. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Today, we are welcomed by Jeff Moore. I uh, came across him on Twitter and his website, uh, but give a little bit of background because it's your first time on the show. Uh, how, first of all, how'd you come across Thrive? And then uh, what's kind of your background personally? Yeah. So uh, for my personal background, uh, I mainly do real estate. I, I do stocks too, but um, I bought my first duplex when I was like 19 and then kind of rolled that into some other real estate projects um, and just kind of grew it. And then at some point figured out, well, I guess I'm a landlord. Um, and then, you know, grew that to over a hundred units, uh, sold that off to a small public company um, and 
yeah, just did that. And, you know, now we do a bunch of stuff with opportunity zone investments and, you know, a lot of infill uh, redevelopment in uh, Lexington, uh, Kentucky. Um, but I also do like a lot of microcap stuff. Um, so kind of how that, that got into Thrive was um, my, my buddy, Richard Sosa, um, he, he kind of turned me on to a company called Donley Financial, which uh, has an old legacy uh, paper printing business for public companies, you know, doing proxy services and stuff. And uh, they're transitioning to a SaaS business. So, you know, I uh, you know started buying some shares in that, talked to one of my buddies about it. And then he was like, oh, well, here's a similar story with Thrive. Um, they had done a direct listing, uh, so they couldn't really talk about what was going on, but it was the legacy Yellow Pages business um, uh, that had come out of bankruptcy. Uh, you know, they had a relatively clean balance sheet, uh, still had some high yielding debt though, um, and then some large shareholders uh, uh, that, that were former distress holders. Uh, and uh, yeah, so they did the direct listing and I uh, started looking at that. I read the, the Q, uh, their, their most recent uh, Q um, and their S, I guess their S1, their, their listing documents and uh, started buying shares the next day. And then at some point in the next couple months, um, you know, realized that we, we, we realized there were these warrants and um so I, I got the warrant holder list from the company and, and uh, you know, started reaching out to individual warrant holders and, and doing private transactions to, to buy the warrants. And at some point I, I, wound up, I wound up selling off all of my Thrive stock and just being 100% exposed to the warrants, um, which uh, you know, kind of exists because of the bankruptcy. And it, it, you know, when I was reaching out to a lot of these people, a lot of them didn't even know that they had them, or if they did, they, they kind of thought that they were worthless. Um, so it was kind of an interesting process. And uh, I think some people will know this, but I know for sure a lot of listeners do not. Can you give a brief explainer about what the warrants are, just so people can get some context? Like what, just in general, a warrant is? Yeah, yeah. So it's basically, it's almost like a call option that's just issued directly from the company. Um, and it can also help the company raise capital. So the, the, particular, the particulars of these are that um, one warrant will buy you 0.555 shares of stock. And that's because they did a reverse split. Um, at some point, but, um, you know, so the rough math is, you know, two warrants gets you one share of stock and the warrants are exercisable at $24 and 39 cents. Um, and so the way that you would go about exercising them is you fill out a form with computer share, um, who's kind of the transfer agent for all this stuff. You send it in with your cashier's check for the $24 and 39 cents a share that 2439 goes directly to the company and shows up on their, their balance sheet as cash, and then they give you the shares in exchange. Um, these particular warrants, they expire uh, at uh, close of business on August 15th of 2023. Um, so they're pretty long dated. So, I mean, if you think of them as a call option, um, they, they would be a leap, right? Because their, their, their duration is so long. And uh, it's got the added benefit of injecting what was and still kind of is a, a, a pretty levered company um, with some cash. And that was actually part of the investment thesis with this is that, you know, it, it seemed like if they could get their share price up to just a reasonable number based on the cash flows from the Yellow Pages business, that there would be something like $140 million injected to the company at some point in the next two years, which in my mind took a lot of, um, I guess, re-bankruptcy risk um, off the table. Um, because, you know, uh, 140 million bucks, uh, you know, that's something like a fifth of their debt stack. 
Um, and that can make a lot of interest payments and, and, and take care of a lot of short-term liquidity problems. And it turns out one holder um, in, I think it was late April, actually exercised a million of these things. And uh, I, I figured that out from reading the subsequent events from one of their 10 uh, queues, um, where, you know, like I said, you just go to the subsequent events. They said that one of their warrant holders had exercised. They didn't talk about like the amount of money that that brought into the company. They just said, hey, this happened. And, uh, you know, the quick math on that was, you know, it was something like, you know, $14 million, I think, that, that came into the company. So it, it, the company actually had more cash on its balance sheet than the 10Q indicated, which I thought was kind of a, a, a neat little um, item, I guess. Yeah. Right, let's, talk, let's talk about the business a little bit. So the it's probably a name that isn't familiar to a lot of listeners. So. Can you talk about the legacy sort of marketing services business and then maybe also what what kind of cash it's bringing in just for context? Yeah, sure. So um, first off, I, I think everybody should go to the investor relations page and just hear this from the, the horse's mouth, which is Joe Walsh, uh, their CEO. He's awesome. Um, but to kind of sum up to maybe get you to the point, you'll, you'll want to go to that. Um, the marketing services business, it's literally phone books, uh, is a large part of it. Just yellow pages. You know, they, they uh, I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but they have it in one of their presentations. But if I remember right, it takes something like $1.25 for them to print and deliver one of these yellow pages books, right? And, you know, you see them, like I actually got one from one of their competitors delivered to my house maybe a month or two ago. I've been meaning to burn it um, in protest. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, so it takes like a dollar twenty-five to get those delivered to people, and they bring in something like nine dollars and fifty cents in revenue from you know plumbers, florists, you know who, uh, you know, uh, you know this one on the front page. There, you know, there's a Generac uh, generator uh, uh, ad, you know, and then an auto insurance company, and you know, it looks like there's a breast cancer foundation that's advertising. So anyway, from all those people uh, and entities, they, they wound up getting like $9.50. So they, they got like 90% margins on phone books, right? Which is pretty absurd. And then they also have, you know, some search engine optimization um, that they, they do things with, um, which is declining at a much lower rate than the Yellow Pages business um, that, that they get uh, some cash flows from. Um, but, you know, that I mean, it's a, it's a melting iceberg. I mean, this is something that does over a billion dollars a year in revenue. And, uh, you know, but it's shrinking at, you know, 22-ish percent. Um, and that uh, that can be a little bit hard to detect in the filings because they have a 15-month billing cycle. So, you know, you're, you got to make all sorts of calculations on that. But they do a pretty good job in, in their presentations. But, you know, that that... That business absolutely mints money and cash flows like crazy. Yeah, that's right. They didn't mention that they have a lot of variable expenses there. And I think the big question for a lot of people is, I think the analogy to bring it up would be sort of like the decline in video cable or I don't know what, you know, the video cable subscribers where it started petering off and stabilizing over the last few years. Do you think there's a floor for that for yellow pages? I know they reference basically people that are, you know, boomer or older and in non-urban areas that are kind of less susceptible to leaving these. Um, do you think there is a floor there and that can help them have this cash cow to reinvest? I mean, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, my, my, my investment thesis isn't really based on that. Um, they've done a really good job 
um, uh, kind of scaling that, that business and making it so that they don't have fixed costs. It, it's, it's, they, they've got a, a highly variable cost structure, right? And so, you know, uh, you know, because it doesn't cost much less to print, say, your unit cost is not going to go up much if you're printing 800,000 of these books rather than a million of them, right? So, you know, that decline, it, it's not going to be too bad. And a lot of it, you know, is, you know, getting rid of certain salespeople that they're selling a lot of these products, you know, kind of as they retire out, you just don't replace them. So they've got a pretty variable cost structure. And I think that they'll be able to scale this down pretty nicely and, and maintain their margins, um, uh, which a lot of companies are not able to do. I mean, and you see that with dial-up internet, right? I mean, dial-up internet has incredible margins, even though it's got a declining uh, base, you know, I mean, generally 20% a year. Um, but you can keep the, the cost structure down. So, uh, you know, I'm pretty optimistic about that. And I mean, if you look at the EBITDA of, of the company uh, in Q2 of 21, you know, I mean, this is a company, I, you know, their market cap is probably about a billion dollars right now. But uh, last quarter, they did almost $97 million in um, EBITDA, right? And their EBITDA numbers, they're, they're not bullshit, right? I mean, they actually, that, that, that's pretty close to their cash flow numbers. Um, and they've been using that to pay off debt and, uh, you know, do some other neat things. Um, you know, so you annualize that with some decline. I mean, you know, they'll probably do 320, maybe $350 million or something like that in cash flow, um, which lets them reinvest in the SaaS business and, and uh, whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about that. And I think that one of the, the interesting kickers would be like, you know, what happens if part of that business segment actually grows a little bit or maybe doesn't decline at 22%, you know, if it declines at, you know, 18% in one year, that, that could do some pretty interesting things. And I, I would not bank on that happening at all, right? I, I view that as kind of like a free call option that you might get for some people being a little bit, I, I guess, being stickier customers than, than, um, uh, than normal. Yeah, you're not, you're not paying for any potential surprises to the upside in that regard. Right. Um, but the more, I guess, exciting part of uh, Thrive seems to be this uh, Thrive platform or the I think that's what they call it, right? Um, yeah. So kind of, can you talk about what that is and sort of who their target customers are there? Yeah, so it's a it's a SaaS business and um, it's, uh, you know, basically a very simplified version of what Salesforce or Service Titan or um, uh, uh, HubSpot would offer to like a, a really large company. It's, it's a very, I, I call it boomer proof actually. Uh, because it's so simple that that anyone can use it, and it, you run your small business, uh, your small business that's a service business off of it. So, like you know, your plumber that has five trucks would be an ideal client for this. Um, I've got a uh, an epoxy floor. Uh, uh, we 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 use a, an epoxy floor coating company uh, for some of our rental units and, and whatnot, and he actually uses uh, Thrive software, and it, that's actually one of the cool aspects of some of the growth for some of that is they have a really good franchise version of this. So the franchisors can monitor what the franchisees, or maybe I'm getting those confused. The person selling the franchise can monitor their, their, uh, their kind of subs uh, right. uh, uh, revenues and stuff. So they don't take cash under the table and stuff to, to get out their revenue share agreements. And this floor coding company does that. Um, 
you know, uh, hair salons could use this. A dentist could use it. Um, it's it's HIPAA compliant for for you know uh, doctors' offices and things of that nature. So, you know, any small business that's basically more than you know one or two people, this would be fantastic software for them. And it, it does a really good job of helping them grow because it links up with you know forty or fifty different websites, makes all the reviews consistent. You click one button and it makes your hours of operation consistent across all media platforms. Um, you know, it, it brings all of your messages from Facebook and Yelp and Angie's List and all the other platforms into one central location for you. Um, it's, it's really a pretty simple and beautiful software. How much, how many customers do they have on that right now? Do you know? Um, 40 or 45,000. I think it's 44. And you said that you've tried it out or you are a paying customer. I don't know if you did this just for the investment thesis or if you're actually using it, but what has your experience been like with the platform? Are there any other offerings, you know, competitors, stuff like that? Yeah. So um, we got uh, one of our contractors on it um, and then uh, another one of, of our contractors had been using it. And then um, we recently started up a small plumbing company uh, that, that is using the software and we're in the process of like rolling that out. Um, it's a very simple software, um, but it does a lot of stuff, uh, which is really nice. Um, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of it. Uh, there, there are competitors. Um, it's just, you know, like, um, like Jobber would be a competitor for it. Um, but, uh, I, you know, Jobber doesn't seem to do all the stuff Thrive does. Um, you know, sir, I guess to some extent, a company like Service Titan would be a competitor. But I mean, Service Titan is really catered for much larger companies than, than Thrive is. I mean, if you have 150 trucks or something like that, like uh, say Godel, uh, which is a big HVAC firm out in uh, Nevada, um, well, really the southwestern U.S., um, they uh, they're on Service Titan, and it's it's a pretty good software for that. But one of the things I've noticed, you know, just seeing how a lot of these small contracting firms are utilizing is they're grossly underutilizing service Titan. And so they're paying a lot of money for features they're not using and frankly, not using well. I mean, it, you know, I, I've gotten in billing disputes before with, with a company using service Titan and, you know, they had done some illegal work on one of our houses and really messed some stuff up and they could not figure that out from their software. We had to use ours to be like, no, you all messed this up. This is your problem, not ours. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they kind of, they, they quickly saw that they were wrong once we, we, we put that all in front of them. But so as to say, like, you know, a complicated system makes it hard for them to implement, right? So yeah, they're using Service Titan, but it, it doesn't do them any good, right? They, they need to go for the simplistic uh, nature that, that something like Thrive can do. Because um, and a lot of times, you know, with small businesses, they don't have time to roll a lot of these softwares out. And, and Thrive just won an award for being the, the simplest rollout uh, for any software. And they also do follow on meetings with you to make sure you're using the software and, and whatnot. Because I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, an Apple product, right? If you get an iPhone, you may wind up switching back to Android at some point. But if you get an iPhone and an Apple Watch, you're a little bit less likely to switch to Android. And then if you have an Apple Watch and an iPhone and an iPad, you're probably stuck in that ecosystem. And then if you throw an Apple TV on top of that, you're stuck with Apple forever just because it's such a pain to switch. And that's kind of the, the, the thesis that I've got with, with a lot of these uh, software companies. And I think it's kind of underappreciated for the small business ones because 
you know, if you think about it from the, the standpoint of the revenue share you're getting from a company, Thrive actually has, has a revenue share in essence, right? Because they've got Thrive Pay they're rolling out. And then a lot of their, their, their products are kind of the first thing that gets paid. And small businesses, a lot of times they're not really paying taxes on a whole lot of stuff because, you know, they have some depreciation or expenses they can do and, you know, and whatnot. So they're actually in a much more interesting position kind of in the capital structure or I guess revenue share structure than say even the federal government is, right? So I, I find that as a very interesting spot for them to be in. And all they have to do is get the customers using several of the products that the Thrive platform uses and they're stuck forever. I mean, it, it, in my experience, if you change a software on your company or you, you significantly change a lot of your operating procedures so that everybody in the organization has to figure something new out, you're probably better off just firing everybody and starting over. Um, and as an example of that, um, my, my girlfriend, she works at, at one of the local hospitals. And when that uh, healthcare system switched to um, a software called Epic, which is like the preeminent hospital software, I, I wish it was public because I would buy some of it irrespective of the about the, the, the <laughs> because yeah, it's, so, uh, medical software that's your line. I mean, that sounds like it's never coming out ever, even in the apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, but when they switched to Epic, there were literally uh, uh, administrators, uh, nurses and, and, and whatnot, they quit their jobs. And this was pre COVID mind you, before everyone was getting all stressed out and they quit their jobs because they didn't want to learn a new software, but it didn't register in their heads that they were going to have to go to get a job at a different hospital or a different doctor's office or something of that nature and learn the new software system that, Baptist hadn't been using, right, at this new place. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, it makes for some some really sticky revenue streams. Um, I, I, I think once you get once you get people using a, a particular software, you mentioned the pay. Uh, how does that help? They've been touting that a lot. The growth seems to be very strong there. How does that help one the customers, and then how does it help tie in? You know, that lock in like you were talking about. Yeah, so um, if I had time, I would pull up a text message that I got from one of my contractors that used Thrive Pay. But he sent me and my company's controller a text message thanking us for getting him on Thrive Pay because he, and he basically said something to the effect of it took me five minutes to enter my bill in. I hit a button, it sent them a text message, and they immediately sent me payment for like, I think it was like $6,000. And this particular contractor, like he actually had like $30,000 in bills outstanding that he just hadn't billed for, right? And normally he would have to drive to someone's house to get cash or to get a check or something like that. And ThrivePay just literally makes it so that the customer can get a text message or an email, they click a button and they transfer money, right? And for a lot of these small businesses, that's a really big deal because they get funding the next day and it saves them a lot of time. The other thing too is that the average transaction size for ThrivePay is very large, right? I mean, this isn't like, I, I don't know what the average transaction size is for Square, but I would assume that it would be very small because you know, you've got a lot of food trucks and service marts and stuff like that using it. I mean, some people are, you know, like when I go to the ghetto mart at the end of my street, you know, um, I'm, I'm running my card for a couple Red Bulls, right? So, um, you know, that's a $5 transaction, $5.35 transaction. Um, whereas ThrivePay, <clears throat> I can't remember what their average transaction size is, but I, th I think it's like $700 or something, you know, cause you know, a lot of times a roofing company will, will send out an invoice in that. And it's pretty low fee too. If I remember right, it caps at something like $10 for an ACH. 
um, which is, you know, a, a big deal. And they've got the, the ability to add in like a service fee or, or a tip for, for um, uh, you know, some of the, the subs or whatever. So, you know, and that's one of those things that kind of makes the business a little bit more sticky because ThrivePay obviously integrates with the Thrive software, right? Um, so you can kind of see if an invoice has been paid or which ones are overdue. And it just links things up and, and saves people time and makes their lives a lot easier. So, I mean, they, they wouldn't even have to be the low cost provider of any of these services to, to really see a lot of the benefits from them. How, seems, or, go ahead. Uh, how, how are they going to grow customers? I know, I, I think I read somewhere that they try to cross sell the platform to the yellow page customers. Is that the primary way or is there any, uh, any other way to acquire them? Yeah, so that, that's how they started, and they they were able to convert about ten percent of the Yellow Page uh, customers to Thrive, which is really significant. Um, they also just started a dedicated sales force uh, in uh, December, and so you know they're they're having some success with that. Um, and then um, you know there, there there's a freemium version of Thrive Pay that may help get people on it, but they also have a reseller network <clears throat> like my company. Uh, uh, we've, we've got a reseller agreement with them. And so, you know, when we started the plumbing company, uh, you know, we kind of resold the software to ourselves uh, through a different entity, uh, which was kind of cool. But, you know, we're, you know, we're going to be partnering with some other people and, you know, reselling to them. So Thrive gets some, some operational leverage with that. Um, and then also franchises, you know, like, uh, uh, like the uh, epoxy coating company that I was telling you about earlier. Uh, I think they've got like 35, um, franchises that, that have been sold. So, you know, as that company grows, that'll help Thrive grow. And it doesn't take too many of those businesses to really get some some interesting leverage going. Um, but the, in my mind, one of the main drivers of, of growth is going to be kind of an acceleration of selling to the Yellow Page customers in the sense of they just bought a company called Census uh, in, in Australia, which is their Yellow Page, which is Australia's Yellow Pages company. And, uh, you know, they have about 100,000 customers. So, you know, when they convert 10% of that to Thrive customers, you just saw basically a 20% uptick in the user uh, base of, of Thrive. And that'll also get them, you know, some international expansion um, and, uh, and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think that over time, you know, I, I honestly, if, if you would have told me six months ago that Thrive had not made another Yellow Pages acquisition, either in like, you know, Europe someplace or Canada, um, I would have been shocked. Um, so, uh, I guess this is my way of saying I'm wrong or I was wrong on that. Uh, but I, I do think that they're still looking for, for that at the right price. Um, because I think they paid, you know, two times EBITDA or something for census. Right. Right. That makes sense. The, um, fantastic acquisition just from a cash flow perspective. And then they're kind of getting this customer acquisition from that for free, which is really interesting. Right. Right. That makes sense. Do you think there's a lot of white space for subscribers too? Because I don't know the numbers, but there's probably something like 10 million or so, or maybe maybe it's a little smaller than that, uh, small businesses in America. And it seems like, you know, when you interact with a lot of them, a lot of companies are still on, you know, paper invoice, stuff like that. Is, is there a ton of white space there? Or I know it's hard to talk about like TAM and stuff like that, but uh, do you think you can get much higher than 200,000 subscribers? I mean, at some point, um, I mean, insurance is always going to be an issue with small businesses. I, you know, the, the contractors I deal with, right? Because, I mean, we, we do a lot of houses, right? I mean, we've got, you know, 70 projects or something going on right now. None, I, I take that back. 
maybe three of our subs that we, we, we do stuff with have some sort of software that they're using for, uh, for this stuff. And that actually includes QuickBooks for their, their, their accounting. Right. I mean, the amount of, um, efficiency that could be brought to just the contracting world is immense. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's huge. You just got to get them using it and get them locked in. Um, and, and on the face of things, that sounds like a negative way to say it, but it's actually positive because they'll be able to actually know if they're making money and they'll be able to value their time at a higher rate. I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many contractors, they, they come to my house to get a check on Fridays, right? And that kills an hour and a half of their time that they should be billing out at 80 bucks an hour rather than, you know, just coming so they can get something to the bank so they can pay their workers. It's ridiculous. And uh, all these softwares help them with that. That's why they, uh, that's why Thrive has tried to quote unquote boomer proof the uh, platform. Bingo. Right. Okay. And then you mentioned the churn that might pop out to people. I think it was, you know, it's going down, but it was 2% per month. Do you think that's just a function of the business we're in where small businesses, there's a lot of bankruptcies, there's a lot of turnover. Is that something you're okay with? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think that ultimately it'll probably get lower, um, you know, because, well, first off, they oversold it to, to, you know, people who shouldn't have gotten it. And that's, and I mean, their churn had gotten up to probably 2.8% and now it's down to like two. Um, but I think that they, they and they do not say this in their presentations. They, they kind of have guided that, you know, churn is as low as it's going to get. I think they maybe want to get it down a little bit more um, uh, because, you know, they're doing a really good job. I, I know with us anyway, of scheduling meetings and, you know, Zoom calls to make sure that we're using the software and just being like, hey, how's this working for you, you know, and, and really trying, you can tell they're really trying to get us to use the software, which is very good. Right. And what are your thoughts on management and ownership? You said they have, well, once they came out of bankruptcy, they had a new CEO. That's part of the thesis. If I remember reading a write-up a lot, uh, what are your thoughts on that? How important is it for your ownership and Thrive? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's really important. Uh, Joe Walsh, he's brilliant. Uh, he talks about kind of his history and a lot of the presentations they've done and especially the chats they've done with like UBS and, um, you know, Baird and, and, and whatnot. Um, so definitely check those out, but he's really good. And he, you know, he does have experience in rolling up yellow pages companies, but also uh, growing kind of a SaaS business and selling it. Um, he did with that with Cambium and you can kind of look at the, the share price of Cambium and see that they made a lot of money. Um, Paul Rouse is the CFO. He's really good. He, he's focused on debt reduction, but I, I think that the, the executive team's fantastic. Um, and, um, you know, you, you know, in terms of the warrants that I've got, a lot of their options vest around the times that the warrants do. So I think that it, that creates kind of an interesting incentive structure. Um, in terms of, you know, ownership, there's, there's a lot of insider ownership in terms of just large holders. Uh, Jason Mudrick owns uh, a very significant portion of the company um, and he has been selling uh, but you know, he's doing so in an orderly manner. You know, they did a private, they, they, they did a secondary. Um, and then, you know, you, you can see that there'll be some block trades that are done. So he's not just selling to crash the price, which is kind of nice. And, uh, you know, I mean, he's a distressed guy. So I don't think his selling is really, um, indicative of, of his view of the business necessarily. It's just so, it's just not so much what he does, you know, I mean, he, he's, you know, doing distress deals. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the last block trade he did, it was literally for like eight and a half, maybe 9% of his position. So there are buyers for the stock. 
which is which is good. And then uh, Golden Tree is the other one that that has been selling a little bit. But the other large insiders don't seem to be selling, and and from every indication, seem like they're kind of along for the ride. One of which is John Paulson. Um, you know, he wanted to get beneath ten percent of the company, which I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to own ten percent plus of any company because um, of all the restrictions that can put on you. So, um, you know, I think that that the end of the selling is kind of in sight. And, you know, with a company like this that, that came out of bankruptcy and did a direct listing and is kind of, I guess, being re-rated almost from a, a, a declining business that, that was being run for cash flows to an interesting SaaS business, you need to have shareholder turnover um, in order to kind of get that, that premium multiple and just to get investors in that actually understand the company. So I, I think it's a good thing that, that more people are are, are, are the, the shareholder base is getting diversified, you know, that'll ultimately get more people talking about the stock too. So I, I, I think that's pretty exciting, uh, personally. Okay, well, we got a lot more questions, but uh, before we get to those, we're gonna hit a quick break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear, check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust, and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit read.kpmg.us slash opportunities. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning... Get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. All right, welcome back in. Uh, this is a part that I definitely wanted to talk about. So it sounds like, uh, to kind of summarize what we talked about in the first half, they have this melting ice cube of the Yellow Pages uh, business. And they're kind of, they are underneath, there's sort of this emerging software platform. So I'm curious what you make of the current valuation and then how much do you think that uh, the, the SaaS platform could be worth eventually? Yeah, so it's been a while since I've actually run numbers on this. So I'm just going to kind of speak in very broad strokes. I think that presently this thing is probably worth 60 or 70 bucks um, just as it sits, right? Um, and if they can actually you know, grow the SaaS business a significant amount, then I don't see why it wouldn't be triple digit. Um, What's it at today? Sorry. It's around 30, right? 30. Yeah. Yeah. It, it had gotten up to like maybe 38 or 39 and it's kind of trailed down a little bit. Um, but, you know, you know, if you look at their balance sheet, you know, they've got 1.4 billion in assets and about 800 million in liabilities. Right. Um you know, and you value the yellow pages, you know, maybe you value it at four times EBITDA or something. Um, and that, uh, that, that basically gets you to, to kind of the enterprise value of where it's, it's at today, maybe a little bit less. Um, so right now, I think you're, you're generally getting the uh, SaaS business for very, very little, right? 
And um, I'm trying to remember the revenue numbers on the SaaS business. Um, the SaaS did 41 million in revenue last quarter, so it'd be 100, call it 165 million. Um, so, you know, if you put a, 10, a 10X multiple on that, uh, which I don't think is, you know, high in the sky at all, right. uh, especially when you look at their, their incremental margins and whatnot, you know, that, that adds, you know, $1.6 billion to the, the valuation, right? So that gets you to basically a $70 stock price, give or take. And I could be off by $5 a share. So if somebody, you know, emails you all and is like, God damn it, Jeff, you know, you're not exactly right. The margins are 19%, not 20%, you know, apologies, apologies in advance. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think that gets you, you know, 60, 70 bucks pretty easily. And then, you know, if they can grow that a little bit more, you know, your revenue multiple could go up. I don't think this is ever going to be a Salesforce that's valued at, you know, 20 times revenues or whatever Salesforce is at. Um, but uh, it could get pretty compelling pretty quick. Right. All right. What are your thoughts on the debt? I know they have a, some of the pension liabilities. I know they have these term loans. It's about 600 or so million dollars. How comfortable are you with them being able to pay off this debt? I know what the, um, the legacy business is doing about 300 million in cash a year. Should investors be worried about this? Um, are the warrants important? What, what are your thoughts in general? Yeah. So, I mean, I totally see how some investors could be worried about that. I personally am not and, and kind of backing that up with my money uh, in the sense that I'm in a very levered position being the warrants. Right. Um, you know, uh, Paul Rouse, the CFO, he's, he seems to have indicated on some of the calls that they plan to pay off the debt early. It's basically a five-year term. Um, it, it sounds like they are planning to pay it off in four and a half years. I do not think that the warrant exercise is important for paying that off. I think it's just kind of icing on the cake. Um, and in my mind, from where some of those exercised early, that kind of got, actually got rid of any of the risk from maybe having a short-term cash crunch. Right. And it made the, and it also made them be able to reinvest a little bit more in the SaaS business, which I think is a good thing. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about that at all. I think that you'll probably see a refinance at some point um, where they get that debt load or the, the interest rates down, uh, down some. Uh, but I mean, you know, the multiples that they're paying for census and, and, and whatnot, it, it's just absurd. I, 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 I wish I almost wish they would take out more debt. Um, and then in terms of the pension liabilities, um, you know, th those are going down, you know, the, their pensions funded, you know, they're, they're offloading some of that risk to some insurance companies, which is kind of cool that happened. Uh, some of that happened last year. And, you know, a lot of times people think that these SaaS companies um, are kind of a bet on interest rates, right? Because the lower your, your interest rates are, the more you're willing to pay for growth. And I think that there's actually an interesting hedge built in because of that pension liability, right? Because if interest rates go up, it may hurt the, the growth valuation for the SaaS business, but the higher interest rates also mean that their pensions are going to be overfunded. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting built-in hedge that, that, you know, it may not be uh, substantial, but I, I, I think there's a little bit of protection in that, um, which, which isn't the worst thing. Do you think there's a scenario where Thrive could get acquired? I mean, everything's for sale at some point. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, John Paulson was on a, a conference call probably, I don't know, that was probably 10, 12 months ago, 10 or 11 months ago. And, you know, asked for him to be split off. Um, and, uh, you know, it was basically told, hey, yeah, I mean, we're, we're opportunistic, but, you know, this is a longer term play. And, um, uh, you know, it, 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 I, I just kind of get the vibe. They're not really thinking that in the short term, you know, that might be something 
five to seven years from now um, that maybe they separate the companies or, you know, there, there's an acquisition or something. Um, but that's, that's not a near term thing. I don't think. Okay. That makes sense. What's the biggest risk to thrive as an investment? I know this is a small cap. Well, maybe it's, I don't know the exact definition. It's basically a small cap. What could go wrong? Why do you think there's this opportunity where, you know, it's almost, you think there's a hundred percent upside from here. What are, what are maybe, you know, what's the bear, what, what would a bear be thinking about as the big risk here? Um, I would think it'd probably be a macro bet where you're, you're, you're betting interest rates are going to go up a lot and kind of crush a lot of these SaaS valuations. But, you know, aside from that and, and making crazy macro calls, um, I'd probably be worried about the debt. But, you know, as we you know talked about a, a minute or two ago, I'm not personally concerned about that. Um, I think it's at this point it's probably a feature, not a flaw. Um, really, it would be execution, right? And then not being able to grow the the SaaS uh, business, uh, this pretty high margin. Um, it would be not growing that. Um, I mean, maybe you get a little bit concerned about the lockdowns and stuff that are happening in Australia, but you know, I don't know if that's really going to affect how Census rolls this out. You know, they've said that the Census story is really a twenty. 22 story for, for the growth there, you know, and I would think that, you know, the Australians would kind of get their heads back on a little bit by then. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's nothing I'm, I'm really too overly worried about. Uh, really the thing I would probably worry about the most would be something I don't know um, is really an issue. And, you know, I, uh, I just don't see it right now. Do you, or got it. The question that comes to mind for me is, because I like the setup here, I like the opportunity, but the concern is that this is not a software business, that it's like its bread and butter has been in the phone books and the yellow pages. So maybe it could get competed away from someone whose core competency is software. Yeah. Does that strike you as a worry at all? Well, uh, I mean, maybe. Um, it seems like HubSpot and, and Salesforce and kind of the bigger players, you know, I don't know why they would want to, to, to mess around with some of these smaller businesses, right? I mean, because it's a pain to deal with a plumber who has three trucks. I mean, they're not, that's not exactly a sophisticated client that's going to be, you know, change it, lighten the world on fire for, uh, for your SaaS business, right? I mean, you know, HubSpot and Salesforce, they're looking to get, you know, Salesforce, I mean, like my, the, the local government in Lexington uses a Salesforce system, right? I don't know how much that contracts for, but I'm guessing it's a lot more than, you know, the $400 a month that, that is uh, Thrive's average customer. So I, I would think that there's a lot more runway that Salesforce and HubSpot will probably be focusing on. Um, maybe some of the smaller um, uh, uh, players would be competing, but at the end of the day, those aren't public companies. They don't have the access to capital that Thrive does. Um, you know, it's, it, it, I would think that they would have a hard time getting engineers and stuff rather than thrive. I mean, Ryan Cantor at, at thrive, I mean, he was, you know, he was with Apple and like new Steve jobs. Um, you know, he's a great, a great guy to have. And I, I think that if you're a smaller player without access to the capital markets where you can say, Hey, here's some stock and some options that you can get. And, you know, if you, uh, really do a good job, you know, we'll make you fucking rich. Um, that, that's going to be a harder sell at, at, a, at a smaller company because there just aren't really many small public companies that are in this, this kind of niche. Yeah. And the, I guess the other thing is you hire one really good engineer. They, those options mean a lot more because they know they can dictate kind of the outcome a little bit. Um, all right. Last wrap up question here. 
I saw something on Twitter uh, that you would consider getting a tattoo if uh, Thrive's price hits 250. Are you serious about that? Yeah. So, so what I said was if the stock price hits 250 on or before warrant expiration, which is August 15th of 2023, I get a tattoo. And the answer to that is absolutely I will. I never <laughs> get a tattoo and I would love nothing more for, than for this to be uh, the first tattoo I get. I actually, I got on Fiverr and, um, or Fiverr, I, I don't know how you Fiverr, Fiverr. It's Fiverr. Fiverr. We learned that. We learned that the hard way. Okay, cool. So I got on Fiverr and actually had this guy in Columbia who uh, uh, went to school for like anime to like draft it up. Uh, and it's it's no Walsh like killing a bear uh, with, a, with a yellow pages of book. So um, yeah, so I, 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 no one hopes more than me that, that I'll get it. Um, my mom's not too happy about it, but you know, whatever. <laughs> we'll have to, uh, in 2023, we'll have to have you back on if that occurs. Um, we're hoping it does. Uh, we, can, we can add a visual component too. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's all the questions we have for anyone that, uh, for any listeners, where can they find you? Do you know your Twitter handle? Yeah, it's uh, uh, Ragnar is a pirate. Ragnar is a pirate. Okay. Right. And then what's uh, what's the website again? Uh, it, it too is uh, Ragnar is a pirate uh, dot blogspot dot com. Right. We'll link. You had a write up this winter, right? Um, and we'll probably we'll link to that just to give any any listener more context. Okay. Perfect. Absolutely. Uh, thanks, thanks, Jeff, for coming on. I'm going to try to hit the outro here without butchering it. So we are not financial advisors here at Chit Chat Money. So anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you all for listening. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital. So clients may have securities discussed, securities, uh, positions in the securities discussed on this podcast. All right. Next time you'll get it. Next time you'll get it. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. 